2: visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N.
0: LinkedIn presents.
1: For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right.
2: One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck.
1: Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart,
2: and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Kadian Langley. She's the chief marketing officer at Renfro Brands, a hundred-year-old legacy sock and hosiery design and manufacturing company. In her role, she oversees Renfro's diverse portfolio of brands and maintains its position as the largest manufacturer of socks in the U.S., producing 3 million pairs per week. Katie is focused on growing consumer engagement across Renfro's brand's direct consumer platform, Loops and Wales, and the company's brand portfolio, inclusive of Hot Socks, K-Bell, and more. Katie joined Renfro in 2018 as vice president direct to consumer and digital tasked with expanding the business beyond the traditional brick and mortar stores the company traditionally relied on. Prior to joining Renfro, she consulted with leading brands and retailers on their e-commerce and digital marketing strategies. On the show today, we talk about her pathway to CMO at Renfro. We also talk about tough global markets with the confluence of commodity price, inflation, global competition, and dynamic consumer preferences, and what the role of marketing is in this type of environment. We also talk about the importance of DEI and how she's focused on it, as well as a project that she helped to launch called Project Footprint. So I know you don't want to miss this episode with Kadian Langley. (laughs) Katie, and welcome to the show.
3: Hi, Alan. It's great to be here.
2: I'm excited to talk about Renfro and and all all the things that you're doing there. But before we get into the business side, I hear you have a personal passion. Tell me more about about that.
3: Yes, it's maybe interesting or not but it's my passion of interior design and my family they always laugh at me because I'm so passionate like I light up and you know I'm always following all the different social media influencers and my son he did ask me he's like mom why are you so passionate about interior design and I really started to reflect on it and as a young girl growing up in Kingston Jamaica I spent a lot of time with my grandmother and we really didn't have a lot, but I being (laughs) Canadian, I started (laughs) to like find little things around the house and try to put things together just to create this beautiful space. So I don't know if it's really a passion of interior design or just a passion of really trying to create beautiful vignettes. And then also making something out of nothing. And so Mm -hmm. that of course led to a long story with the kids, but how many years later, it's still a passion of mine.
2: I love that story. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, uh, it's amazing to me. I don't know if you feel this way, you might, since you have this passion when you're in a space that just feels you know, it feels good to you. It may look beautiful as well, or it may have those special objects, you know, placed around okay. that, you, you know, but you just feel better in the spaces right. like
3: that. Right. It reflects who you are. It's a way right. to really like flex your identity and, you know, your interests. And when you look around, you just have a sense of like calm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I agree. I agree. <laughs> well, um, from, uh, from Kingston, Jamaica to, to CMO of Renfro. <laughs> What was your pathway? Where how'd you get your business start and how'd you end up where you are today?
3: Yeah, so yes, I was born in Kingston, Jamaica, but I did migrate to the States when I was seven. So very, very, very young. I grew up in New York, went to had opportunities to attend really great schools. And, you know, I've always had this fashion, this passion for fashion and interior design, but I was like a math guru. And so <laughs> I know, believe it or not. And so I was actually going to go into investment banking. So I majored in economics at Wesleyan University and did a lot of internships in private banking. And if you know anything about, Immigrants. It's like okay, you focus on where the money is. Go after the investment banking, and I just didn't really love it. Right, it wasn't my passion. Really, didn't feel like I was bringing my full self to what I was Mm -hmm. doing. And so I got a really great opportunity as an assistant buyer many moons ago at Lord and Taylor in New York, where that was like the place to be if you were interested in the business side of fashion. And throughout my career, I just started to elevate. I moved from buying to marketing to digital. And then many years later, here I am as a CMO of Renfro Brands. I
2: love it. I love it. And tell us a little bit about Renfro before we get into... yeah.
3: Yeah, because not many people know Renfro, right? They know our yeah. brands per se, but they don't know Renfro. So Renfro Brands is actually the largest sock company in the world, and I say the world, I mean I truly, it's truly the world. Mm. We have a global footprint, so we have a portfolio of own brands like Hot Socks and K Bell, and of course our licensed portfolio like Dr. Scholes, Merrill, Ralph Lauren, and smart wool and et cetera. And Hmm. so we make, we manufacture, we sell, we market socks for all occasions. Like you think about hiking socks to fashion socks. And of course, now we're expanding into different product categories like underwear and t-shirt.
2: Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I definitely know all of those, (laughs) probably have many of those products in my my sock drawer (laughs) as well. <laughs> you started, I believe, in two thousand eighteen as like yeah. the VP of Direct to Consumer and Digital and now you've been elevated to CMO. Like what's changed becoming CMO and, and what does that elevated role uh, mean yeah. to you and the company?
3: Yeah, first of all, for me, it's an amazing accomplishment. Like I said, looking mm-hmm. back at that knock kneed girl in Kingston, Jamaica. <laughs> and, <laughs> dreams and aspirations, right? And I I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to be, like who does at that age, but I did know that I wanted to make an impact. I did know even at a young age that I just had so much to give. I just didn't know that path. And so this opportunity with Renfro has been an amazing opportunity. Like how many times in your life Do you have an opportunity to come into a company to partner with an amazing CEO, Stan Jewell, who has an amazing vision? And I was just like enamored by that to really impact change. And so to your point at first, it was really just about digital and DTC and moving the company and introducing those new skill sets, right? to now rebranded the company from Renfro Corporation to Renfro Brands. Like think about Renfro Corporations, it just sounds very like manufacturing, right? <laughs> like it doesn't necessarily <laughs> sound like a company that's creative and innovative and dynamic. And so we rebranded the company together to Renfro Brands and then elevated and promoted me to CMO, which further reinforced our repositioning in, in the industry. So it's been a great ride.
2: I love it. I love it. And mm-hmm. I mean, you have been on quite a journey at the company. And when I heard about the company, the one thing that stood out to me initially was just the Mount Airy, North Carolina connection, <laughs> because I grew up in Concord, North Carolina. Oh, okay. um, so not too far away. But anyone that grew up in North Carolina knows Mount Airy because of the Andy Griffith show, <laughs> right. if for right. nothing else.
3: So that's one thing I did learn. I did not know that before. Yeah. So that is definitely the <laughs> same thing there, and and the people there are passionate about that, right? Oh
2: my gosh! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, for better, or for worse.
3: For better, for worse, worse. But yeah. then when you're when you're on this journey and you're on this path, you're also you want to maintain the the integrity and the legacy and expertise of the past. We are a 100 plus year old company, but it's also important to attract new talent and new yeah. diverse talent and diversity meaning not just you know race. And ethnicity, skills, age, you know, regional, everything. Right. Mm. And so we did open up a new corporate office in Winston-Salem and we just uh, launched a brand new opening the second floor in Winston-Salem. And we do have a New York office. And so these regional satellite offices here in the States, they really allow us to be better and also attract really great talent.
2: No, no, I, I can only imagine. I mean, and the thing that I think most people maybe don't realize is that the, that North Carolina region that you're talking about, like Winston-Salem, even down to Hickory, most of the furniture and textiles that it's like the furniture and textile capital of the U S Right, and there's huge shows. I I know on the furniture side in particular, huge shows in Hickory that, you know, draw all the New York buyers down. (laughs) (laughs) Go, go through there, but so there's this really strong connection I think between the the fashion and home furnishings lifestyle industries and North Carolina, which probably is a head scratcher to many people. But
3: I know it is. But you hit it on a nail, Alan. It's it's really this textile capital and you mm-hmm. think about the universities that are in that area right, right? Yeah. so it's also a great opportunity for us to recruit great talent and new minds from those universities
2: yeah well i you know so you've you've modernized the company and you you you're growing you've yeah. pushed them into the digital space and direct to consumer as well what all have you like? Give me a, a few of the accomplishments, a few of the highlights, if you don't mind, about yeah, that journey.
3: Absolutely. So, we from rebranding a company from Renfro Corporation to Renfro Brands and instilling a new value system in the company, but also launching um, or relaunching our own brands, direct to consumer sites, hotsocks.com, cablesocks.com, and then our newly launched Loops and Wales, which is really your one stop shop. For all things socks, for those, we like to say that there can be a sock for every moment in the day. And there really can be, right? Like you wake up in the morning, mm-hmm. if you're like me, you drink your coffee first and <laughs> then you work out. And, you know, then I put on my Merrell socks, you know, because it's really the sock that I need that's going to elevate and really help me do my hit and strength training exercises. Mm-hmm. And if I'm working from home, I may want to put on my Dr. Scholl's spa socks because it's all about comfort. Or if I'm going in the office, I may want to flex my fashion style. And I put on like a hot socks and I'm making a statement. And then, you know, maybe I'm going out with a hubby. These days, maybe not. I'm, it's more like softball. you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's when I may put on something like a K-Bell no-show with my sneakers because it really allows me to be on the go. So, you know, just in that one day, you can wear three to four different socks, right? And so it's really about that. One stop shop. So that's something I'm really proud of. You know, obviously, you can imagine the idea was just like, what? Wait, why are we doing this? Right? Like, okay. it was such a different idea for us as a company. We have a strong B2B business, which is so important, but everything is connected, as you know, in this industry. Having a strong DTC business really helps to support your B2B business as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's definitely you have to be where consumers and customers want to buy and that means, you know, having your own spot but also right. working through your channel partners too.
3: So Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Well, you are a global company and like many others, the global markets are tough right now, right? You've got commodity price inflation, global competition, and and then just the changing dynamic consumer preferences. How do you think about marketing's role in that type of environment?
3: Yeah, that's a really great question. And thanks for asking that. And we've been, as you can imagine, discussing that quite a bit in our leadership meetings. One interesting fact is that socks tend to be inflation proof, right? Because of the (laughs) low-state item. However... It's about what type of socks. And because of our portfolio where we have a, a private label business, we have a fashion business, we have like higher price commodity business during the COVID times, department stores were closed, right? Uh, right. Our e-commerce was still open and so was Walmart and Target. So we saw those businesses really thrive, right? We really thrive and grow exponentially. And then the year after, when things started to open up, department stores were doing well because of that pent up energy and like people just wanted to get out there and shop. So then you saw a softening in the mass business. And then also we didn't have those stimulus checks, right? And so we saw like brands like Ralph Lauren and some of those more higher price and department store businesses really started to thrive. And so that is a great thing with A portfolio business. And, you know, Stan, our CEO, he always says this it's our, probably our greatest strength. And so, as a marketer and head of marketing, it's really about flexing that strength, it's really about leaning into that unique differentiator. So, when I talk about a socks you know, for different occasions. It's also about a sock for different economic times as well. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, love, I, love, really, I love.
3: really leaning into that consumer preference because the consumers, you know, they're really discerning right now, right? If you don't have a lot of discretionary spend, it's like why buy something? And so, you know, we we see that things that are really priced right. That have a really great name that has really great quality. People will tend to spend their money because they know it's not disposable. That it's going to last a long time.
2: Yeah. No. That's I, I I hadn't thought about it like that, but you're right. Like having a portfolio of of channels, a portfolio of products, right. it gives you a lot of flexibility for the, for sure. Right. That's a that's a really good business strategy. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I would say it's our superpower. <laughs>
2: yeah. No. For sure. For sure. Well, I know, I know something that's important to you is how brands can successfully incorporate DEI into their marketing strategies and initiatives. Can you tell me more about what you're doing and what you believe other companies should be doing around that?
3: Yeah, I, and thank you so much for asking this question, because it is a passion of mine and it's a passion of mine to the point where I don't even want to call it a DEI strategy anymore. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's a business strategy. It's a, it's a marketing strategy it's about being seen it's about belonging i think far for so for so long we had these like very small ideas about what people should look like. And mm-hmm. I'm sure you've all heard is, oh, they're not really the type of people that we want to represent the brand. And it was very small and you had your type and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. And now we're doing away with that. It's more about the behavior. It's more about that emotion. It's more about the feeling of the brand. And so ultimately people want to be seen People want to see real stories. People want to look up whether they're on social media or they're watching a Hulu and there's a OTT kind of like commercial that pops up, or there's an image, or there's a copy. People want to see themselves in image. I call it image equality, right? Yeah. Where and it people want it to be authentic. I can't tell you. How many times I've seen a commercial and I could say, oh yeah, they were really trying to t- check that diversity box.
1: Right? <laughs> right.
3: <laughs> it just didn't make any sense why that black person was there, you know, right. um, just to be very, very frank. And so we have to take a step back and really think about telling stories. And to do that, We also have to hire different people, right? We have to hire people who can bring their experiences. We have to hire a Katie who's bringing her Caribbean, American, New York experience (laughs) to the table, right? So we can tell those stories. And something that we're doing that I'm also proud of is we're launching the Diversity Designer Council, So we can partner with a diverse group of designers, influencers, and brand ambassadors to really help to tell their stories and create a curated assortment that does that. So I'm excited about that. And the plan was to launch it this year, but we're going to launch it next year just because of some of the things that you talked about earlier and just really taking our time and doing it well.
2: Mm, I love that. I love that idea. And, and kudos to, to getting involved in, in launching a council like that. That's amazing.
3: Thank you.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Uh-huh.
2: One other initiative that I've heard about is a Project Footprint. And I'd love for you to tell me a little bit more about that initiative as well and and how you played a role in getting it off the ground.
3: Yeah, well, thank you. Well, Project Footprint was definitely the start to the DDC, the Diversity Designer Council that I just spoke about. When I started five years ago, I can't believe it's been five years <laughs> <laughs> at Renfro, I noticed that You know, as a company, we were doing amazing things for the community. We had really great initiatives, sustainability initiatives in our manufacturing facilities. We did lack some diversity internally. And I said, hey, guys, we really need to start telling our story better so everyone can see what we're doing. And then also we need to set challenging goals for ourselves to make us better. And so I led a a steering committee, a steering committee of about five people, including our chief HR, Karina Norris, and our vice president of sustainability and vendor compliance, Todd Rader, to really create a platform, a plan that's going to set us up for success. And so our corporate social responsibility is Project Footprint and is divided into three pillars. Our people, planet, and community. So, people really encompasses our diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging plan, which includes some internal things that we want to do and also external. And, people, of course, is our sustainability initiatives. And we're doing some great things with our supply chain. And then, of course, our community. We want to make sure that we're making an impact where all of our footprint, you know, our manufacturing footprint and corporate footprint. And so it's another passion of mine. <laughs> and I was, you know, just really proud to be able to lead such an exciting and important project for Renfro. And now it has legs and we have different owners and it's just been a very rewarding process for me.
2: I love that. And uh, you know, you're not alone in, in marketers kind of taking a lead in this area in particular. I've, I've talked to a number of folks and it's interesting to me that the marketing function or the marketing leader many times is the one that's like pulling this all together. (laughs) I don't, I don't know if you feel that way yourself. Um, but it, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just the nature of marketing and and how it Mm -hmm. operates in the company.
3: I think, you know, because as a marketer, you're not only marketing to your consumer, you're marketing to your, you know, in our case, our retailers, our B2B Mm -hmm. partnership, and also internally, we're marketing to our employees. And I think as marketers, you're able to look at things holistically, right? I'm not just like head of sales and I'm focused on getting me to my budget, right? So you tend to be very myopic in your thinking, but as a marketer, as a true marketer, you have to see what's around you, you have to be able to have that skill set where you can bring something that may seem complicated and make it simple and understandable and clear and concise.
2: love that well, I want to transition a little bit to you and your journey if you will you're You're an executive that's also a woman <laughs> and mm-hmm. a person of color yeah and what what are some of the you know, key learnings from your career or journey, or even maybe tactical advice for others that may kind of follow behind you in your footsteps.
3: Yeah, I, I have a lot of learnings. As you could imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I begin? I would just say, I remember, you know, I talked about my first job out of college as an assistant buyer at Lord & Taylor, and it was like the coveted job, right? And, you know, my first year, I think I was trying to be someone I wasn't. I looked around and everyone looked a certain way. And I found myself trying to, how can I say this, like mimic those behaviors, right? I was like, well, I guess to be successful, that's what I have to do. And I remember a friend of mine was like, Kadian, who are you? Like, this is so not you. Like, that hairstyle is not you. Like, you know, and I was like, you're so right. Like, what am I doing? And I made a very... Concerted decision to just be myself Mm -hmm. and bring all of myself to the table and bring my experiences and talk about my ideas. And you know what? I started to flourish. Like, I, people, and, and I guess it's one of those things too, because I was being myself, I was also more confident in myself. So when I was presenting my ideas, everyone bought into my ideas because I presented it in such a confident manner. Right. Mm-hmm. It's funny how that happens when you're able to be yourself truly and not be afraid. Your confidence just exudes naturally. Mm. That's <laughs>
2: no, it's great advice. Great advice, and I mean, I think to now, I don't know about then when you were starting out, but yeah. um, I think there's there's more awareness internally at companies that there needs to be a space for exactly what you just described mm-hmm. as well. I know when I started my career, I'm old, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, I, I was doing the same thing, but, but okay. in a different way, right? Like the company yeah. I, I I joined out a, out of undergrad was a really old company. My, my closest mm-hmm. peer, I think was 20 years older than me. They were all military, like ex-military oh, wow. people. And so I tried to play that part. It also did not fit, <laughs> uh, but you know, but it, it's interesting. I'm, I'm so, I know we've got a long, long road ahead of us to make the change that we need to make, but I am encouraged where we are right now. And I think it'll, I hope all of us doing our part, being advocates or allies, as well as like you described, shaping your own voice and finding your own voice. I I hope it, I hope it gets better for everyone.
3: I do too. And I'm also a bit older.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I was going to call myself old. I wasn't going to call anyone else old.
3: (laughs) So I'm right there with you. And the dynamic has changed tremendously, right? I think companies are trying to foster safe environments. I know we have a tremendous way to go, but it's also important for us to understand that we have choices. We don't have to stay at the company where there's a toxic environment and you don't feel like you fit in. We don't, you know, like really start to strategize and think about if you're not happy and you feel like this place is not fostering the environment for you to grow, what are the things that you need to do to get that next job? I'm not saying to job hop here and there, but I think it's important to be in an environment that does really support you and who you are.
2: Yeah. Well said. Very well said, well, um we do also like to go a little deeper on the personal <laughs> side, and my favorite question to ask everybody that comes on the show is what experience of your past defines or makes up who you are today
3: yeah, that's a really good question, Alan and I would say, and I would go back to those moments in my grandma 's home in Kingston, where I like to say I was making something out of nothing. And uh, (laughs) really pulling things together to create a space or whatever it may be. And I've, you know, looking back, I think I've always done that in my career, right? Mm -hmm. Things haven't always been laid out for me. Like, here's your succession plan. (laughs) You go from step one, two, three, four, and voila, you're there. It was never like that at all. I've always had to um, make something out of nothing. I've always had to take the initiative. If I saw something that was lacking the company, I took the initiative and I took it on. Yes, it was more work. Yes, I probably worked later than I intended to, but that was my way of creating that environment, creating that space, providing value. And I lean into that today, especially during these tough economic times, right? Like, Let's all face it, there are budgets that are being cut right? Mm-hmm. And it's important to manage the p So I get it. But I tell my team this and I try to lead by example. Mm-hmm. It's like, what are the things that we can do? What are the some things <laughs> that we can make out of nothing? What are the ways in which we can look at efficiencies differently? And it's also how I live my life with my family. My husband and I, got married really young, started a family really young. And everyone mm-hmm. looked at us like we were crazy. We were like a complete anomaly. Picture us here in New York, like everyone has kids like in their 30s and 35s and now 40s. And we were like in our 20s and we we're like, okay, well, we're going to do this together and we're going to make something out of nothing. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what we did.
2: I love that. I love yeah. it. Well, and as you talk about this, I mean, like the making something out of nothing, the, the challenges and getting creative, if you will, like yeah. this notion of creativity coming through and your, your, your math guru background, <laughs> like, you're like a Renaissance woman.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I love, I love your perspective on, on life and, and just work and how, how to make it both creative and, and impactful. So. Well,
3: thank um, you.
2: Well, if you're starting this journey all over again, like what, what advice would you give your younger self?
3: I would say trust your gut. Mm. You know how we all have that feeling, right? Like that feeling in our stomach, and it's like, and then we have, then we have our friends, and then we have our family <laughs> members, then we have our peers, right? right? And oftentimes, you know, especially when you're younger, you're still trying to find your way. You don't know, so you're trusting your peers or you're trusting someone else. But ultimately, I would, I wish I can go back and say. Canadian, trust your gut. Your gut is always right. My husband literally said this to me last night. He's like, okay, what should we do here? We're trying to buy some property, or whatever. And he's like, okay, what's your gut telling you? Forget about what the numbers, because you know I have my Excel sheet at the same time. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, what's your gut telling you? Because honey, your gut is always right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I love that. I love that. And I, I have this thing I, I tell uh, when people ask me, you know, about making decisions and, the, you know, everyone wants you to think that it's analytical. And I said, you know, how many, I usually poll the room, how many, how many are married? Maybe 60% of the hands go up. I, I ask, you know, how many of you guys used a spreadsheet to determine whether or not to ask your spouse to marry you? <laughs> no hands go up, you know, and, and it's that kind of thing. I think when you know, you know. Right. And yeah, you can take in all the information like you said, you you should do the rigor, have right. your spreadsheet, but I agree. And I don't know about you, but when I have ignored my gut, it, man, has it backfired on me a few it
3: times. Is so yeah. backfired. It is so backfired. And so we're we're speaking from experience, right? Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes.
2: exactly. Exactly. Well, um is there a topic within marketing or or otherwise that you're trying to learn more about, or, or you think other people should be, you know, learning more about themselves?
3: Well, I think everyone is diving into artificial intelligence, right? Yeah. For good or bad. And there's been lots and lots of talks about, you know, the opportunities around AI and then obviously the potential issues, And so I've been digging in to really learn more about AI. Of course, we know about artificial intelligence when it comes to like paid search and Amazon and using sponsored products and using tools that allows us to really bid on terms that everyone's looking at and so forth. Right. So Mm
1: -hmm.
3: we we know about that. But then, you know, when you start thinking about copy and all the copy that is needed. And this is very tactical, right? But, you know, as marketers, we have to roll up our sleeves and also be tactical. We have the visionary piece of it, but also the tactical piece of it. And we have different brands that exude a certain personality in voice and tone. But we also have thousands of touch points, right? Digital right. touch points as well and we have to create copy and distinguish copy with seo and product descriptions and features and benefits and etc and so the only way to really do that at scale is to really integrate artificial intelligence right and that's a very tactical Way, but then we're now looking at artificial intelligence when it comes to images and voice and creating all the different videos. that's really needed to create those touch points, and that begins to scare me a bit, right? Because I'm like, are we losing the authenticity and the human connection? And so. I myself am learning more about it, and which I think all marketers should, and mm-hmm. also be. And there's a we should also be fearful. We should also be cautious of mm-hmm. artificial intelligence. We want the platform, and we want it to thrive in a healthy way. But I think there's a healthy fear that we all need to have. Yeah,
2: no, I I, I would agree with you, and I I do think there's huge power in it. And I, I'm encouraged by some of the developments. Um, not to plug a, a company, but Adobe, you know, yeah. launching their Firefly product, which is quote unquote safe for commercial use. Yeah. In terms of images and things like that, because it's trained on things that you don't have to worry about copyright or IP law. That that's encouraging. But to your point, I think it's still like in this stage of. We need to make sure that it's doing what we think it we need it to do and not running away unsupervised, so to
3: speak. Right. It's, it's the regulations, right? Like yeah. we, we we need those regulations in place. And yeah. so that allows us to thrive in a really great way right. and also protect us at the same time.
2: Yeah. Well, another question for you. Are there brands, companies, or causes that you follow or you think other people should be taking notice of?
3: You know, there's a brand that I started following a few months ago. And it was actually my son that introduced me to this brand. My son is a D1 basketball player. He's 6'8, but he's also a fashionista. I don't know if that's even. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, Mom, you have to check this out. It's great to have him in my back pocket. In my- yeah,
2: sounds like he but- takes after you a little bit.
3: Or <laughs> maybe <laughs> just a little. <laughs> And there's this brand called Basket Case Gallery. They're an up and coming, emerging kind of streetwear brand. And what I love about them, if you if you you know follow them on Instagram and YouTube, it's it's really about community. And they do things that you learn not to do in retail 101, on one, where. They have drops and they will close their sites and they'll be like, come back in next month (laughs) and here's, here's your password. You know, so there's a scarcity marketing Uh tactic that they're using as well. They just did a pop-up shop in Paris, which was amazing, but everyone is like anticipating the next drop and the drop is going to be different than the last drop, you know? And so it's very interesting model and my son, I mean, he just loves, loves them. He's like, Mom, check out this docu series on YouTube. Like, they they really created YouTube docu series, and that's how he was introduced to the brand to begin with. And now he's forever a loyal customer. He's like, Can I go to Paris for the pop up? No, you cannot, honey. <laughs> <laughs> you wait until that site opens up next month. Right, right. But the fact that he said that, right? There's this like community that everyone's drawn to. Mm-hmm. And they're loyal and this like excitement around it, which, which is really great as a marketer. I'm like, that is genius. That's amazing. And mm-hmm. another brand that does something very similar is Teflar. They make like really great handbags. The designer is of African descent. And even my mom, who's also a little bit of a fashionista, she's like, Katie, when is the next Teflor drop? <laughs> 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 Which I found to be amazing because she's usually more like a Tory Birch kind of girl, but she's trying to also like differentiate herself. And mm. here's a 60, late 60-year-old woman. Who's also into Teflon along with my fifteen-year-old daughter, which I think is amazing. That's like yeah. the dream of brands, right? Is to really be able to attract many different demos. Yeah. So those are the two brands.
2: Those are great examples. I gotta I, I check those out. I haven't heard about it, but I, I love everything that you describe. Basket Case Gallery doing, like from a marketing tactics standpoint, scarcity, you know, pop-ups. Right. I mean, there's a lot of lessons there. I'm looking forward to digging into that one in particular. And and I will, I would like to dig into Teflar, but I'm scared my wife might start buying more <laughs>
3: handbags. I have a feeling she may already. She um, brought, <laughs>
2: she, she may. Brought, she, <laughs> she may. The, the, the brand that she, she likes right now is uh, this brand. I think it's in LA called Hammett. Uh, Hammett bags. Oh, yeah. 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 She's gotten really into those, which is not helping our situation. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> But yeah, so, well, last question for you. What do you think is the largest opportunity or threat facing marketers today?
3: I think the opportunity is really about differentiation, right? It's really looking at basket case gallery. I'm just going to go back to them as a case study and how they were able to defy kind of like your normal marketing practice and do things different and really create that differentiation in that community, which then creates loyalty, which is what we're all trying to do. Right. Yeah. And I mentioned this before, one of the biggest threats I do think is also an opportunity and a threat is really artificial intelligence. And Mm -hmm. it's more about just, you know, the regulations And also not doing the monkey see, monkey do. Like I see this happening a lot. Like, you know, Lululemon did this great campaign. And now I see like all these other brands doing the same thing. And it's like, (laughs) I understand that there are learnings, you know, that we can take from brands who are killing it, but we have to be able to do it in our own way, right? We have to take those learnings, build upon it, change it a little bit, tweak it, you know, spin it up (laughs) and then make it our own. So that is a threat. And- That I think we should all see as like a watch out.
2: Yeah. Well, Katie, and this has been a fantastic conversation. I just want to say thank you for coming on the show.
3: Alan, thank you so much. It's been absolutely wonderful. Thanks for having me. Awesome.
2: Awesome. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with post-production support from Sam Robertson. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com. Tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love hearing from listeners. You can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes and links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm